welcome to another episode of the Welcome to the Table podcast. If you are new to the show, this is a podcast really devoted to equipping followers of Jesus for this cultural moment, and we are all about exploring uh, church disciplines, spiritual disciplines, and ancient Christian practices, and discovering uh, all that the rich history of uh, Christianity has to offer us to help us to be more faithful followers of Jesus in the current age. And my name is Khalil. My name is Sean. And we're super excited for a conversation we've got another guest with us today yeah so sean moore is my uh my a buddy of mine so we've got some history we go way back um he is a jewish rabbi a messianic jew loves jesus and we were when we were friends back in the day you were not a rabbi yet and uh, yeah. and so I got I got some some a little bit of history. You got some means you got some dirt on me too. But uh, we studied in Israel together, um, and uh, I don't want to I don't want to uh, steal any of what you might want to say. But uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, bro? Tell us a little bit about your family, and uh, even maybe one or two fun facts uh, fun facts about you to our listeners. Yeah. Yeah, and, and we were just reminiscing here uh, a few minutes ago, but I met Sean somewhere around the 05, 06, 07 range, 2007, somewhere in that range, and uh, hit it off with him in seminary, and then we were able to go to Israel together. So, And that was my first time going to Israel. Sean, I believe that was your first time yeah. going to Israel as well. So we joke, because there weren't a lot of Sean's at the seminary, but I think we constituted the population of, of Sean's or <laughs> Shawnee's group. Um, but in any case, it was, you were from the West Coast and I was from New York. Right. So it was you know, East meets West in the Middle East and <laughs> together for about three weeks. And we hiked, I think it was over 150 miles uh, during that time. Wow. Just about 10 pounds. And uh, actually, you know, Sean, that's where I started to grow my beard because my my wife was pregnant at the time and she didn't want me to have a lot of facial hair. But when we went off to Israel, I had a few weeks on my own. So I let it grow a little bit. And that's kind of where it all started. (laughs) So you, you know, you were part of the very beginning of that. The genesis (laughs) of it, my friend, I was I was a part of the genesis of this This is the origin story of your beard. Yeah, because there's always that awkward. There's that awkward beginning stage where everything is scraggly and she didn't have to see that by the time I came home, it was already getting a little bit of fullness, you know, that is so awesome. Well, we're so glad to have you on, brother. And uh, I, um, uh, it's been great just to to see all like kind of follow on social media and different things like that. But just to to see all the good things that have happened with you and your family. And um, we want to talk about something that is very near and dear to our hearts. Mm-hmm. And um, you and I were chatting. I don't know, it might've been a month ago and it was, had nothing to do necessarily with this podcast. And I started talking about the table with you and your light, your, your, your eyes lit up. And, uh, and you said, man, I love talking about the table. And I said, 
we need to have you on our podcast then, my friend. <laughs> and so uh, why don't you kind of um, tell us a little bit maybe and in, in feel free to, to go off on tangents and whatever, but the historical – uh, in, in historical Jewish culture, what does the table symbolize? Why is this so important? And uh, why would your eyes just light up at something like that? Yeah, sure. And I was, you know, I was going to go into the office today, but then I thought it would be appropriate for me to sit at the dinner table. Yeah. <laughs> We're sitting so, at the table right now as well. So Yes. <laughs> yes. So, I mean, you may hear children in the background or different things. Um they know I'll discipline them later, so they're trying to. <laughs> but um, I wanted to be at the table. But yeah, so in in Jewish custom, what's funny is I was looking at the the biblical feasts, you know, like what we have in Leviticus twenty three. Each of them, it you know, the food is so important because that, a lot of why the table is important is because of the food, mm-hmm. right, right? What's on the table, mm-hmm. right? Um, and there's actually only one feast in Judaism where we, or let me say it this way, one festival where we don't feast, and that's Yom Kippur. Um, so it's actually, it's harder to get Jews to fast <laughs> in, in my experience. But Yom Kippur, that's a time where we all corporately fast. Mm-hmm. Throughout the world, the Jewish community fasts on that day, and it's a day of, of repentance. It's a day of confession. Um, and for us as Messianic Jews, you know, it's, how do I say, it's bittersweet. We're, we're mourning that day. We're, we're remembering our sinfulness before the Lord, but we're also remembering Yeshua's sacrifice and that we have redemption, mm-hmm. same sin. So it's something that kind of separates perhaps Messianic Jews from, from the rest of traditional Judaism, where it is maybe even more somber because there is, without the temple, where is the atonement? Also, I, I was thinking about, we just passed Shavuot. We're, we're in this, this season now between Shavuot, which is you might know as Pentecost, right. and then coming fall feasts like Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, etc. But there are species of fruits and things associated with each of these. And uh, in fact, we're, we're working on an album now in the congregation, and I was thinking we have like these seven species of of uh, genres of music on this album is is really neat. But um, there's also these seven species that are associated with Shavuot. And, you know, the pomegranate and the wheat and the barley, the figs, etc., the dates. And, you know, I was thinking of delving into this uh, as like an artistic theme with the, the minim or the species. And then what's kind of ironic, I don't know if this has any traction. I'm going to have to like uh, <laughs> let it sit for a while. But historically, the, the believers in Yeshua became known as the Minim. Uh, there's like, there's an ancient um, prayer written to kind of purge these Messianic believers from the synagogues. It was called the Birkat Haminim, or the, the blessing up, upon the heretics, if you will, like <laughs> types of Jews. And it, within the prayer, there's some language that would make Messianic Jews uncomfortable. And through putting this into the liturgy, they were able to get the Messianics out of the synagogue. Uh, so I don't know if it would be wise within our uh, ministry context to use that term minim on our album or not, but it's kind of, it's a little provocative. Um, 
So most feasts in Judaism, there's like things, think about Passover. This is like the quintessential um, feast. Mm -hmm. Shabbat is, is key and happens, you know, 52 times a year. But if you think like biblical theology mode, Passover is the beginning of everything. It's, it's the story of the Exodus and, you know, things got rough. Our people were enslaved. We were delivered. Let's eat. This is the theme of every feast, basically. And, you know, I was thinking about this even just as I was eating today, because you sit down, you have a meal, you're happy, especially if the food is good. Absolutely. You're happy after you eat this food. And, and for Jews, you typically give thanks after you eat rather than before. Right. You know, before you're famished, right. you know, life is rough. <laughs> and then you eat. Like, ah, you know, um, now also I know that after you eat, there's a whole digestion process where it's harder to make decisions and things. (laughs) I even read a book about people that have to do surgeries after lunchtime. And like, it's probably best to schedule certain things in the morning. It's a book called when it was very fascinating. (laughs) Again, back to the table, this idea of the altar, even in, in Judaism, uh, in, in the biblical text. And if you've ever seen these, you know, models of the ancient altar. It's like a table. It's like, you know, but it's like a, a grilling station, mm-hmm. you know, it's, the altars were these biblical barbecues and you, you read about all of the offerings. You don't read about all the food they were eating necessarily. Although there are, there are many places that you do. Um, for instance, I mean, before we even have the Torah in, in Exodus 24, you know, Moses goes up to Sinai and the others, the elders are like there at the bottom and there's this moment where they get to also behold God. It says, uh, this is, I'm in Exodus 24, and let me find the verse here, uh, 9 through 11. It, it, this is what it says. Moses and Aaron, Nadav and Avihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel went up. Now, they didn't go up to the same place Moses went up, but like they're right at the mount. They saw the God of Israel. This is people besides Moses seeing the God of Israel. This is like unprecedented stuff. And under his feet was something like a pavement of sapphire as clear as the very heavens. Yet he did not raise his hand against the nobles of B'nai Israel or the children of Israel. So they beheld God, ate and drank. That's the first. So imagine this. Like this is what heaven is for me. You're, you're there with, with your closest trusted brothers and sisters in the faith. In this case, they were the elders. Um, you're eating, you're drinking, and you're beholding the Lord. What better picture is that? Is, is there than that? Right. What, one of my favorite writers, Kurt Vonnegut, he would talk about his dad and one of the things his dad would say, and it would op- often happen if they were at a meal together, and he would just stop and say, if this isn't pleasant, I don't know what is. And it's just that stopping to acknowledge the moment, mm. how sweet this is, let's, let's cherish this. And, you know, every time we could do that, it's like it's, it's adding to our bank of contentment mm. and enjoyment in life and getting others to, to think that way as well. Man, that's so good. Yeah, I love that. I love even that yeah. of just um, taking stock of the moment. And it made me think about, you know, just 
the table. I mean, we could obviously we we're probably going to end up talking more about this as we go on because our our podcast is named Welcome to the Table, and right. um, we have various you know inspirations for us behind that as well. But it made me just even think about how the table can be a moment to take stock of God's goodness in our everyday life, in my everyday life, and just yeah. I love this 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 challenge for us to start having a theology of the table, um, which I know a lot of us don't. We don't put critical thought into the table. We just sit down and eat the food. But you're right. It's good. It's a celebration. And so I love it. Just making making me think different, too. Yeah. You know, there's something else about the table because when you sit down to eat with someone, you know, like I should have come, come out here with a sandwich. So I'm really <laughs> awkward and like it's dripping on my beard and stuff because it's it's hard to eat and look yeah. official oh, that's good. or cool or professional like it's there's a vulnerability when we're eating with each other like we're showing each other a different side of us and there's i think there's an implicit trust in that or who we allow to come to our table who we allow to eat with us i mean you see yeshua jesus he allowed you know even his betrayer was at the table with him yeah. uh, but for the most part those were his trusted associates those were those that he was closest with and, you know, we don't we don't know how many meals they shared together, but I'm sure that was a very special thing. And in fact, and you know this, Sean, you, I think you wrote your dissertation on this, but it was in, you know, it was in them eating together and the breaking of bread. This is post-resurrection Jesus, post-resurrection Yeshua, that they came to know who Yeshua was. This was after all those years of walking together, like they still didn't understand the fullness mm. of who Yeshua was until he was resurrected and they sat down and broke bread together. I mean, he even refers to himself as the bread of life, right? The living water, his body as, as, as the wine and the bread, the elements of, of Passover, Pesach, you know, the, the unleavened bread that was striped and broken. All of these food allusions, it's, it's just replete throughout the scripture. Um, and you know, in a sense, it, it begins in that way. We're talking about even before the, the giving of the Torah. Um, it, it, there's so much to be said about food. I mean, obviously, God gives the Jewish people the kosher laws, which, which are still valid today. Um, you know, Yeshua debated some of the sages and their schools about interpretations of, of certain traditions, but he never invalidated the Torah itself. In fact, he was the fulfillment of that. But, you know, in Proverbs 23, it talks about when you sit at the feast and how to conduct yourself, you know, uh, so much so this, there, there's an element of coming to the table, and this this is going to be like a bit of an exaggeration, but it's like we get saved every time we come to the table. And if you think about it, it's an exaggeration, but if we go too long without having a meal, we will die, mm -hmm. right? Right. This is what they complained about in the wilderness, and... Moses was, um, you know, he was susceptible to that too because he, they were going without water and he struck the rock. That's in this week's Torah portion instead of speaking to the rock. Mm. And we know the rock of Israel is Yeshua himself, mm. right? So it was, it was wrong of him to strike that rock. He, he could have just spoken. But in any case, we see this theme throughout scripture. And uh, you know, every time we come be, with our loved ones before the Lord to eat a meal, it's like salvation because we're being saved. Our body is physically being saved for another uh, set of hours, mm. you know, and we have it 
most of us have it uh, ridiculously easy here because we eat every few hours. Mm -hmm. Around the world, that's not necessarily the case. So every time you sit down with a meal, it's a special thing. Mm-hmm. Every time you can nourish your body, um, and and you know, of course, there's applications physically, spiritually, etc. But even at the very end of Scripture, Revelation nineteen nine, and I'll, I'll go there just so I don't uh, misquote it and and get into trouble with you guys. <laughs> I, I mostly dwell in the Torah, so whenever I'm getting into the Greek, I need to be careful. But, <laughs> Revelation 19.9, it says this. The angel tells me, right, how fortunate are those who have been invited to the wedding banquet of the Lamb. And I don't know too much about the world to come, but there's going to be feasting still. Mm-hmm. Yeshua's miracle, of course, to, to bring wine, uh, turn water to wine at the wedding. So, I mean... There's so much that I don't understand it about about it, but just in what he's revealed, it's it's part of our past, present, and future, and we should really enjoy it and and be careful to have balance, of course, and not over uh, overindulge ourselves or gorge right. ourselves. But Scripture has something to say about that too. That's cool. And when you talk about uh, you know food and salvation, just to process through that, thinking you know Jesus calling himself the bread, and we come to him as our source. He is our he's our source of um, life and strength, and so when we eat, uh, you can almost say that there's a there's a symbolism there to you know coming coming to him and coming to him as our source. And uh, people laugh at me, but friends of mine know that I, I love food. And uh, when I when I eat a good meal, that first bite, I literally I always I clap and I throw my hands in the air every time. And it's lit- it's a it's a worship. It draws me towards just thankfulness and thanksgiving and um, just think just I was just playing out that that symbol of salvation a little bit, that the table and coming to a source of life, like Jesus being the bread, Jesus is that source of life, drawing us into worship of him. And um, I just, I thought that was a cool theme. I wanted to drag out a little bit more. And that's so huge and and a great way of thinking of it. I think the implication though, you had said uh, a couple of really good things. You've said a few good things, but uh, (laughs) you said a couple of really good things in our, uh, just a little bit ago the implication is that we actually approach the table with this mentality though. Mm. And oftentimes we don't, especially in the Western culture. Like we, we're, we're grab and go people. We're drive through people. We are, uh, um, I I've got, I've got 15 minutes Mm -hmm. and I'm off to the next thing, but we don't see that in the scriptures and we don't see that, uh, in historical Judaism either. Um, we see, like you said, festivals and feasting, and we can't we can't do that all the time. It's a foreshadowing or a precursor. Like that's what paradise is. That's what that's what when all things are made new. That's when our King comes and makes things right again. Then it's it's um, it's Passover all the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. Yes. Although Sean Shabbat every seven days right. we get and. And yeah, I wish actually I had more of these times with my family. My, my wife is a teacher. She just got off from school. Now we have more of these times where we're both sitting at the table together, eating a meal. But uh, regardless of what anyone is doing, how busy they, are, busy they are, Shabbat, you know, Friday evening is a time where we come together. And Abraham Heschel said it this way. He said that the Shabbat is a sanctuary in time. Mm-hmm. And you know, that it's a set apart time where we come together 
we have rituals that we do as a family. Um, we, we bless one another. We honor one another. We remember things throughout the week. We give thanks, like collectively we go around the table and it's, it's a tradition. So everyone knows what to do when we come to the table. Mm-hmm. We have songs that we sing before we go. We pray the blessings over the children um, and, and the priestly ble- blessing. I pray over them. Uh, but this is, you know, really this is how we disciple our children. We spend time, we, we listen to them, we get feedback. We talk about things that are that are relevant to our, our spiritual walk. You know, we're not on our devices mm-hmm. during that time. It's really a set apart time for, for a certain type of communication. Uh, I, I was also thinking about even, so how this relates like during COVID, right? Where we had this time that we couldn't get together with people necessarily, depending where we are, it's, it's either, you know, still happening in a big way or it's quieted down, but, um, in any case, that I watch that in our congregation. I'm I'm in Dallas, Texas, but our people stopped getting together, and that was that was a difficult thing. I mean, it's great that we have this technology, but when you don't have the breaking of bread, there's going to be a certain level of relationship that you just can't have mm. someone. Sure. So, uh, actually, it was just this week that we started classes we you know the week before we started the bagel nash in the morning before service where people are eating bagels together and having coffee together and my spirit felt so relieved to see people ministering to one another again because that's really what it is people start caring for each other again people start serving each other again hit on that man what's that drill down on that bro that's good yeah i mean even if we're not at home if we're at restaurants Mm -hmm. you could we could tell a lot about people and we could tell a lot about ourselves by how we handle ourselves. How do we treat the staff, the people that are serving us? Mm-hmm. Right? Um, how much space do we take up at the table? When there's something I like, am I willing to share it with you? Or do I keep that all for myself? If I don't like what I've been served, what do I do? Do I get angry? Do I eat it anyway? It says a lot about our character. And in a lot of ways, especially with, you know, multi-ethnic society embracing, you know, most of the food I eat is Indian food. My wife is from India and my mother-in-law who's with us is a wonderful Indian chef. So she's, she's cooking up things to make your mouth water all day. And I get to partake of that. But, you know, if, if there was something in me that had, animosity against a particular culture, I might then struggle with that food, you know? So look, this was controversial too in Rav Shaul, the apostle Paul's day, but he didn't ask a lot of questions when he went to a home, even though he was a Jew who kept kosher, but he understood in, in his ministry calling that he would be in different contexts. And in order to show love for people, it's hard to do that if you're denying their food. It's really difficult mm. to say, I don't want what you're serving, but I love you. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> Somehow the message doesn't get across. Totally. And I know uh, I was just talking to a missionary actually um, that was serving. Um, it was an African missionary serving in a, in a different side of Africa. And they were saying when they got there, that was one of their heart. The most difficult things for them was the, the food was so different. And yeah. they, they were talking specifically about culture shock and just 
um, embracing a new culture and a new people. And so it's really interesting to think that that comes out in the food. I hadn't really thought about that, but uh, I just made that connection a bit too. Um, something I, I wanted to ask because Sean, and I don't know wh who to call Sean because you're both Sean, <laughs> but Dr. Silveri uh, had mentioned that, um, you know, drive throughs and it was making me think, man, what do we, what do we lose by losing the table just is simply in culture? And you talked about the fact that um, discipleship happens around the table in families and you started tying that into family a little bit. So I was wondering if you could just unpack a little bit um, how the table is a source of discipleship or how identity is formed around the table within a family, because I don't think that's something that a lot of us have thought about. And I think that would be really interesting to hear your perspective. Yeah, yeah. well, I think, you know, for me, the best the best setting for this is really the Shabbat meal. And this is something that was instituted, you know, very early in scripture. I mean, early on in Genesis, the Shabbat, it's like the culmination of God's creation. Like there were six days and then there was this day of rest. And in a sense, that's where that's where the Lord is all the time. We kind of have a sense of it. It's like that already, but not yet. We, we've got a sense of it each week, but we haven't fully realized what Shabbat rest is. Mm. Um, but we have this weekly ritual that we can get into. And I believe that this is something fruitful. You know, it's, it's certainly the things that were asked of Israel aren't required for non-Jews. And this was discussed heartily in Acts 15. I mean, they debated about these things. How, how do we... How do we deal with Gentiles who are coming into the way of Yeshua? You know, it's like the opposite question to what we have today. Because now we don't know what to do with Jewish people. <laughs> That's so true. But, but in any case, there's already a, a scriptural model of this. And, you know, setting apart time for the Lord, setting apart time for our family, for our children, uh, focusing on them, listening to them. Because I find myself even you know, with my work. And even when I'm working from home, I might not be really present for my children. I say hi to them. I tell them a few things to do, but I walk by, like, I might not even make eye contact. with them, And that's really sad. So we can't get away with that kind of behavior at the Shabbat table. And, and also when you're sitting there across from someone and, and you have to pass them the challah or whatever it is, if you have animosity if I have animosity with my kids, if I'm upset that my son took my tool and he left it outside in the rain or something like that, it's going to come out. Not that we're going to fight at the table necessarily, but whatever beef, pardon the pun, whatever we have between us is going to need to be settled for us to be able to sit down and have a peaceful meal. Yeah. But for me, if I know we're going to be sitting down at the Shabbat table, I better work that stuff out with my son before we sit at that table because that table is a sacred time and I don't want to have animosity in my heart towards him when we sit down. Wow. So also, you know, preparing, there's a lot of preparation for Shabbat. My, my mother-in-law or my wife, whoever's cooking, they'll be in there all day. We'll do all our work. All the, I'll, I'll fold all the laundry, sweep the floors, everything before the sun goes down. It's like you're setting the stage so that you can enjoy this time. So Man, and you just made me think, wow, because uh, I was just talking to families about reclaiming meaningful moments for discipleship and, and specifically identity formation. We said it a little different, but um, you just, 
what we lose even there just with losing the table and people eating independently and on their own is opportunities and, and moments of reconciliation and unity. Yeah. And like you said, you can't sit across the table and not feel that. So, you know, there's opportunities for us to come face to face with things that have not been settled um, that are keeping us from unity with one another and therefore affecting even our relationship with God. And yeah. I mean, that's really profound really profound stuff and what i'm hearing even along the lines of that is the the table shabbat obviously sabbath also known as for us who are non-jewish speakers or non-hebrew speakers jewish speakers nice. jewish speakers wow <laughs> i know but anyway uh grace there's your forgiveness yeah i appreciate the grace dr rabbi um the uh dr rabbi reverend um that it's not it's not the only place that we disciple and form identity but it is irreplaceable mm. that the table is unique very special and unique um and can't there is no alternative to it although it is not like i said the only uh special space for sacred moments and identity formation mm -hmm. Um, that is huge. It's, it's elevated mm -hmm. in a sense um, that if we don't, if we don't sit at the table and share meals together, I also like to say game games and uh, board yeah. games mm -hmm. and things like that. Um, coffee. Uh, then, then we are missing a crucial piece to discipling our, the yeah. younger generations and also uh, sharpening one another. Well, yeah, that's good. And there's, you know, I like that you talk about the games and things because it's enjoyment. Mm -hmm. Enjoying yeah. each other's presence. We're enjoying the Lord. And there was this one movie where, you know, the rabbi, each time the kid would get the Hebrew letter right, he put one of those little candy corn things on the table and the kid would take it and eat it. And, you know, not that that stuff's really healthy or whatever, but <laughs> the idea that he wanted to, you know, it says in the Psalms, like his word is sweeter than a honeycomb. Mm, yeah. That we would have good associations with the word and with the faith and how we set that up for our children. Because if their only association of the faith is us, you know, whooping them for disrespecting us or something, that's going to be a very negative association. But instead, if their main association with the faith is us praying blessing over them and then them having the most delicious meal, and then us playing a game together. Well, that's a different picture entirely. That kid's probably going to love the Lord. Mm -hmm. Man, that's good, bro. That's we're, really right? Good. We're his representatives uh, on this earth. So especially for our children. I and mean, this idea of Lador Vador from generation to generation. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is the primary place of discipleship is within the home mm -hmm. and, and at the table. Because I think that's where we can give the most attention you know, collectively as a family to one another. So we, I mean, and we've said this before, Khalil and I, and we've, we've chatted with many others. We, we've, we are losing the power of the table, uh, and in our culture. And so, um, as we kind of wind this down a little bit, I'm honestly, bro, I, I think we could talk with you about this for like an hour. Well, I think we need to, I think we <laughs> need to, we, we, we will, we'll bring you back on for sure. But, um, maybe what does it look like? So we are busy and that's fine. Jesus was busy too. He had a lot going on, but he still managed his calendar very well. 
And yeah. so how do we, how do we do this, uh, in everyday, uh, in everyday life? What is it? You got some practical tips, steps, um, practices. Sure. Yeah. Well, it says, um, Yeshua withdrew often. Jesus withdrew often. So even though he was doing miracles, he was taking care of everyone in a sense. Um, not everyone that he he blessed in a miraculous way followed him, right? Yeah. Some of us, he was just ministering to, to crowds and people that would go their own way. But even in the midst of that and being the son of God, he's going to spend time with the father. And it seems like he's doing this quite a bit. So I think this should be something that's part of our schedule. And to be honest, I'm more gracious with, with my wife and with my children after I've spent some time apart than I am when, you know, I have the kids yelling in my ears all the time and they, okay, I get it. It's a lot to take, separate yourself, recharge your batteries, and then go a bit more intentionally into that, uh, that room where the, when the kids are fighting or whatever it is, and you'll have a better response. Also, I would say with Shabbat, I mean, Shabbat, Erev Shabbat, Friday evening into Saturday evening, being a, a separated time is kind of a distinct, distinctively Jewish thing in most people's mindsets. But the principle and even the practice is there for Christians as well. All people need that. Yes. Mm. Um, so, so there were things that, and again, you could read about it in Acts 15. They didn't mandate all of the laws of the Torah upon upon Gentiles, but much of it was, and many of the principles are helpful in the life of non-Jews, and particularly this day that is set apart from work, and you know, for those of us that are serving in vocational ministry, this can be really difficult, because oftentimes everyone else's day off is our biggest work day, hmm. where you know people are demanding the most from us on that day. So we need to have another separate day. Um, whether that's that Saturday or whether that's Thursday for you, where, you know, I mean, I'm more of an introvert myself, so I, I need it just to function. But even for people that are extroverted, having that time set apart for, for rest, for, for study of the scripture, for, for nourishment and revitalization each week, it's, it's going to keep you healthy and more useful the rest of the six days. I think we uh, we chatted the other day, and I uh, I told you that Ashley, my wife, and I have instituted Shabbat on Friday night when the sun goes down. Um, we don't do it. We don't. We're not um, on it every every week. But there's a there's a fun song that goes along with it, and they've made it in like a kids like with kids in the circle like dancing. Shabbat Shalom, Shabbat Shalom. And so my my kids love that song. And um, I I think you're right that there was, it's not necessarily mandated, but there's obviously very important, um, significant principles to that. And uh, principles is not the right word, but um, life-giving principles. (laughs) Yeah, and (laughs) you know what else, Sean? I I don't mean to cut you off. No, go ahead, man. But it teaches margins and boundaries in our life. So, I mean, if we're able to say no to another day of work, because, look, if we're going to rest, we have to say no to some things. Mm -hmm. It's hard. They might be good things that we're saying no to. But even for our children, you know, for my daughter, that she could learn through this that there's a boundary 
you know, as she, as she begins high school, someone might be approaching her, but she needs to know that it's good for her to have a boundary mm -hmm. there. And you could be nice to someone without, you know, uh, taking them up on every one of their requests, for instance, yeah. the idea of, of boundaries that certain things are set. This is who we are and this is who we're not. And this idea of identity formation, like being wrapped up in this. And I mean, it's, it's very obvious for my daughter when she, she celebrated her bat mitzvah last year. So, you know, she'll go to, to school with the star of David and people ask her questions because she identifies as a messianic Jew. So in a sense, I mean, she's embraced this, uh, this identity marker. I don't, I don't just mean the Magen David. I mean, the, you know, what it, what it is to be a messianic Jew in life in her lifestyle, because she doesn't necessarily eat the same things that all her friends eat. And she doesn't shame them for, for not doing that, right. but she has a unique identity and being able to say yes and no to things is a really good uh, skill, especially in those early teenage years. I, as a young man, I didn't have it. Mm. I said yes to way too many things and I'm still trying to, get that dirt off of me, yeah. you know, as a father. So I see that through this, my kids can come up in a better way. And it's very pleasant. Yeah. Now, this is so great. As I, you know, I was listening just about the, the things that are happening around the table in our lives. And the, I'm going to use that term meaningful moments. And it just makes me think for a parent listening, this could be incredibly encouraging just to think about what can be accomplished around the table and what it looks like, you know, if there's no family dinner to even start with uh, one a week um, and, and start a habit of cultivating family time around the table. Um, for, for young adults, know a lot of young adults and, you know, building community and connection and relationship with one another by doing time, time around the table, dinner around the table, board games. I made me think a lot about neighboring well. I uh, recently moved into a new community that's all new builds. And so it's a bunch of new homes, new families, and uh, we're all getting to know each other. So we've said, man, we really got to have you over. We got to have you over. And it's uh, nothing to do with faith or anything, but just being neighbors and getting to know each other because we're like, we don't want to just, you know, see each other and wave and never actually talk. We want to we want to be in relationship with each other. They've got kids. We want to all be connected and unified. And so just thinking about all the opportunities for neighboring and well and, and having healthy friendships and discipling healthy families and cultivating cultivating faith. And there's going to be great faith conversations that can potentially come out around the table as we uh, bring up our mess and our struggles and our challenges and we have that vulnerability. So um, just as we're wrapping up, I'm just thinking there's so much encouragement there for a lot of people in a lot of different walks of life. And then kind of made me think about, I know we got some teenagers that listen as well, you know, they just thinking about what does that look like for teenagers to start cultivating community and space with each other, um, as well, but man, there's so much here and I'm, I'm just really blessed by the conversation. Yeah. Thanks for being on with us, bro. Really appreciate it. We want to give you the last word though. So what's one thing you just love to leave us with and, uh, before we sign off with you. Well, all right. Thanks. It's been, it's been such a pleasure, uh, being on here with you guys. Um, maybe I'll just share for a minute on Genesis 18. So here, and I don't know if there's a table, but Abraham just got circumcised as a, I think he was 99. So you put yourself in that space for a minute. Good start. He, he's in the heat and God in flesh comes and visits him. It's a very controversial verse in, in Jewish um, tradition. 
those uh, maybe some angels, because to have to admit that there is this God man that comes to Abraham, it's a very sticky subject, especially after after Jesus, right? So um, in traditional Jewish communities, it's a very controversial verse, and and their interpretations will go the other way. But you see the radical hospitality. I mean, the way that it involved the family, of course, because Sarah had to do a lot of the schlepping here, but Abraham had to had to give of his flock. You know, these were costly things, sacrifices that he was making literally to the Lord. Uh, how much did he understand about that moment? Did he know that he was literally serving the Lord a meal? <laughs> mm-hmm. Did he understand that? Or, or would he have done the same thing to, you know, anyone that would have come in the same spirit to his, his door like that? And you get a sense that that's just who he is, that hospitality, that, that willingness to, to give to someone else. And this is the one who we all, Jew and Gentile, come from. We all trace our roots to Abraham. This is, this is our model of the faith, of, of handing it down to the generations, of having a promise that hasn't come yet, but we're still holding on, right? Of, at that point, they didn't have children. And that's when, when the scene where she chuckled, right? Because here's this 100-year-old woman about to get pregnant, right? His, his seed would be a blessing to all mankind, and we wouldn't have Yeshua without that couple. So this, this is the model that we have for, for how we, we're supposed to live. And I, I was going to say about the table, too, that, you know, the collective family table is really powerful. And I think we should have that on a weekly basis, at least, at, at the very least, an intentional time together where we're not distracted. The TV's not on. Our, our gadgets aren't on. We're just sitting there. We're breaking bread. There's a good meal. It should probably be our best meal in the week, right? But also, and, and I'm taking this off of what Sean said, this idea that we go on dates with our spouse, where it's just that one-on-one table time, or with our, with our son or daughter, or our friends, my friend from seminary that I haven't seen in 10 years. You know, we sit down, we look at one another, we hear each other's words, and our bones are refreshed, each time, you know, I was so grateful, Sean, when you reached out and, and talked to me after all these years. Your, your faith, your, your um, exuberance in the faith, just it, it made me smile. It, it filled me with hope. So uh, we need to be, you know, obviously not forsaking these, these times of assembling together. So I'm grateful to be able to do this, even if, even if I can't dip my hand into your dish and take some of what you got. Man, this has been such an awesome conversation. Um, so thanks so much. I'm thinking I would love to do another uh, conversation maybe sometime just even talking about uh, Messianic Judaism versus Christianity and what some of the differences oh, are that would there, be good. and unpacking because I've actually been having a lot of conversations with people that have been asking that question. So it would be yeah. really fun to maybe have that conversation sometime if you'd be willing to be back on. Absolutely. Cool. All right, man. Thank you so much for being on, bro. We appreciate yeah. it. Yeah, thank and you. thank you to our listeners uh, for, for being a part of the table. We're going to just simply say with all that we've thought about, uh, let's take this this week or this month to really think about our theology of the table. And as, as our usual sign-off, we ask the question, who are you inviting to your table? Uh, we pray that you would let this conversation move you towards unity with others. So thank you for listening, and thank you for joining. Until next episode. <laughs>